Welcome to the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Sanders, physical therapist, and together I hope we can explore the best ways to stay fit, healthy, and active as busy adults. We all have a lot on our plate. So what is the most efficient way to exercise, eat, sleep, and train in order to continue to do the activities we love well into our future? I hope you enjoy this week's episode. All right, guys, today I am very excited to talk with Casey White. Um, Casey's a, a former and current, I guess, client of mine who I have not seen in, we were just talking, almost a year now since COVID started. Um, but prior to that, I, I've seen her pretty regularly for uh, what started as Frozen Shoulder. I may met you through Pat Flannery over at uh, CrossFit there. And um, yeah, so we started working together and we continued to do some things. Um, and I'll let Casey kind of explain the details, but we've worked together for a while and you know, just talking with Casey is always a pleasure because she has such an interesting perspective on life and things and in her experiences. Um, she always brings a unique opportunity, a unique perspective to, to what's happening. So I've been trying to get her to write a book for three years. And since she won't write a book, we're going to do a podcast. Maybe someday, Nick, maybe someday. I'm going to keep pushing. Okay. So, so you want to just give us a background on yourself and, uh, you know, the purpose of today's episode, we really want to dive into what you do with mental toughness because your mental approach to challenges, life, sports, athletics, um, is, is just, it's, it's awesome to hear the way you think about things. So, um, tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and what you're doing with that. Yeah, sure. It's great to be here, Nick, and talk to you. I missed you. It has been way too long. Um, I've had to be very careful during, this last year with COVID because I have cystic fibrosis, which is a genetic lung disease. Um, I was diagnosed with CF at the age of three. And um, at the time when I was diagnosed in 1982, the life expectancy for people with CF was in the teens. And it was like a devastating diagnosis for my family. But what was interesting is the doctor that diagnosed me um, told my parents to raise me to be a responsible adult, which was kind of a bold statement at the time because the life expectancy was so low. But she just felt like there was research on the horizon and that we should choose hope over fear. And that's, that's what we did. So right now, you know, I'm 41 years old, which feels like such a miracle, actually. And I missed the birthday. Yeah, well, I'm about to have another one in April, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you might not. I remember see forty because forty was a big deal, right? So I remember talking about deal. forty. Yeah, you probably you probably missed my entire 40, 41st year, but I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> um, but yeah, I um, just feel so fortunate that um, I'm still still alive and well, and I've benefited so much from advances in research that have been funded by the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, it hasn't been easy. I think when I first was coming to see you, I did come for a frozen shoulder, which I think I believe I got from having a pick line um, for IV antibiotics. And um, there's always, like, I feel like every time I came in, there was some, like, some crazy thing that was happening. Like I was coughing up blood or I was had a fever or I... Well, that uh, first six months, I was like... There was the physical side of whatever we were going to work on. Um, but then it was like, okay, what other complicating factor are we going to talk about today? It was really, it was a crazy time, actually. I think it was a time in my life where my health was taking up more and more space. And I had to retire from coaching. I was a high school girls lacrosse coach in Chagrin for eight seasons, which I absolutely loved. But it just got to the point where it was too hard for my body and uh, my doctors were sort of like, we love your job, but like, if you want to um, stay on top of your health, it, you need to um, retire. So I did that and it was tough. Like I really missed my team and I sort of was trying to figure out what my identity was going to be. And um, in the meantime, I also wasn't feeling that well. So I really um, took that time to build my body back up and, that was really helpful. I have uh, a son, Mac, who you've met many times, and I just really want to be as healthy as I can so that I can celebrate all of his milestones, um, you know, his graduations and 
uh, a wedding and maybe someday even hold my own grandchildren. So that is my motivating factor. And all the sort of sacrifices to make that happen just feel so worth it because I have these big plans for my life. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I have to believe that, you know, what you mentioned about your doctor and how your parents handled that situation initially, and then that approach to like, those over, like how you take on your day to day activities for that overall goal is, is, I have to believe where that comes from. And uh, yeah, that's, that's awesome to hear. So uh, how long again has it been since you've been in isolation here? Uh, 340 days. Like a prison yeah. sentence. 340 days. Yeah, I haven't been to any public places. Um, I mean, I'll like go for walks in the metro park, but outside, but I haven't been indoors. Are you in skateboarding the- still? I'm definitely skateboarding. I've like actually taken up a lot of different hobbies. Like I've been playing a lot of street hockey um, in my driveway and <laughs> snowshoeing and um, running and just all sorts of outdoor activities to keep me sane. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always interesting to hear how people are tackling the isolation from a fitness standpoint. Like, and, and I love the, picking up the new activities, especially since you're so socially, you're not as connected. So you got to yeah. find new challenges, the challenge of rain, right? So Exactly. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. So let's dive into the mental toughness side. Can you, you know, from a coaching standpoint, obviously you had strategies for how you, you taught your girls to, to attack challenges and attack game plans in, in the season. What do you do from a mental toughness side now when you're working with clients? Because you're still working with both athletes and adults on, on kind of this mental toughness program. Yeah, so I mean, I think really my whole life has been practicing mental toughness. I just didn't have a word for it or an idea about really what it was. But, you know, everyone faces challenges. And when you're living with chronic illness, you have a lot of challenges. And so um, I sort of have always tried to turn to hope, um, just even from the very beginning. Um, but I didn't really have a, a word or an idea of, of what mental toughness was. So when I was a coach in Chagrin, um, I had a great team. They were really excellent lacrosse players, and we had this wonderful team culture. Um, but we just in some big games, I noticed that some of my players would shut down um, when there was, the game was on the line. Not that they stopped playing, but they sort of stopped believing in their own abilities. And I wanted to learn more about how, what I could do as a coach to give them something to turn to so that they could believe in themselves even when the game was on the line or if they were having a bad game. And so I dove into figuring out what that would be. And that's when I discovered mental toughness. So I read a ton of books and I listened to podcasts and videos and I interviewed professional athletes and um, business executives and um, other people living with chronic illness. I just wanted to understand what they had learned over time about being the best that they could be, especially under pressure. Um, And so then my last season of coaching, I implemented a mental toughness program with my lacrosse team. And I was actually really blown away by the results. I didn't really know what would happen, but I figured it wouldn't hurt. Um, but I just noticed that my players um, just had so had more confidence in their own abilities and also had something to turn to themselves. Like they didn't, they didn't need necessarily need me to build them up. Like they could do it themselves. And that was a huge, um, a huge thing to see coming um, out of that season. And so then I, I retired, as I said, and I took time to build my body back up. And I realized that I had retired as a lacrosse coach, but I could start a career as a mental toughness coach. And so then I you know, learned even more and um, have started working with um, people of all ages on mental toughness. And it's been really amazing to watch people claim their own strengths and to be able to use them when they are trying to accomplish a goal or overcome a challenge. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by the whole idea. I always thought that if I didn't get into physical therapy, I thought sports psychology would be a fascinating 
career. Because, you know, as an athlete in, in high school, like I, I can remember times where I felt like I just wasn't playing well, you know, yeah. and things that you've done a million times and then in a high pressure situation or, you know, just a game where you're thinking about stuff, you just, you don't play well, you miss a shot you've made millions of times or, or whatever it is. And what is that mechanism? And you get a taste of it in, in uh, you know, in exercise science, we talk about, you know, optimal, kind of that optimal arousal period of if somebody's a kind of a, a slow starter of an athlete or they're a little more depressed, you got to kind of ramp them up. And then people that get too hyped, you got to bring them down and try to get into that sweet spot. But then you get into the nitty gritties of confidence and the zone and what it's doing from an, an autonomic state and, and how do you do that. And, and on top of that, now in, in with business and things I'm doing that way, you run into the same stuff, right? You're making decisions. You're, you're having to think of what's the next step, the next plan. And so, you know, it's not high school sports, but the same principles, you can feel them happening, you know? So what do you, when you're going to work with an athlete or you're going to work with an adult, how do you get started? Like, what are the things you're looking for? And what, what's that first step? Yeah, I mean, first it's just to listen and figure out like, what what are they hoping to get out of like their life in general, but also if they have a specific thing that they're trying to accomplish and to find out what they think is getting in their way. And people usually know. They, they know exactly like what the hangup is. They just don't know how to get past it. And so that's really helpful just to set the stage of like where that person is and where they want to go. Um, and then um, the next step is really to understand um, what their strengths are. And there's a survey you can take, but also people also know what their strengths are. And once you can claim those like character strengths, then you can use them in creative ways to help you accomplish your goal or overcome obstacles. And it's, it's like finding out your strengths and using them is like fascinating for each person, but it also when you're using these signature character strengths, there's 24 of them. And these have been studied by positive psychologists and like they've studied all of these strengths and they wanted them to be able to cross culture and cross time. So they looked at like, you know, even like historical documents and religious documents and um, they interviewed people like, all over to find out what are these character strengths that are just universal for all humans. And they came up with 24 of them and every single person has access to 20, all 24 uh, strengths, but each person has their five signature strengths. And those are the ones that just come naturally to each person. So when you understand what your strengths are, then you can use them in um, important ways. So as an example, one of my character strengths um, is perspective. And that has been extremely useful for me to use, obviously, especially during this time when everything is like, you know, I haven't left my house and feels like, you know, the world is shut down. And, you know, I could have just, I don't know, decided to put my life on pause. But I had this perspective to say, okay, like, this is not what I expected, but I have this time, like my life, this is my life. Like, it's not on pause, like, this is it. This is what you get right now. And so to have that perspective, to think of it as just a different chance to try to work towards my goals without having, um, I guess all the distractions of the outside world. Um, and once I realized that I was able to actually do a lot of amazing things this year that I'm really proud of and grateful that I had that opportunity and I might not have done them, uh, without, without COVID. So turning to that strength of perspective just allowed me to move forward during this time when, um, you know, I wasn't, wasn't sure what my year was going to look like. That's, yeah, that's really cool. So this list of 24, is this published somewhere? Like, Yeah, so you can go to um, this. It's called the VIA, VIA Character Institute, and you can just Google that, and there's a lot of information on those strengths. Um, and you can take a survey to find out what your strengths are. And um, But then it's really helpful to talk to someone about 
okay, like I found out my strengths, but like, what do I do with them? Um, yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question. Like, okay, so your strength is perspective and, and making those decisions and, and making the decision to look at it from that approach is what makes you so successful. But on the flip side of the coin, I feel like people that struggle mentally or making decisions, they have trouble getting their, their head into that, that space. How do, you, how do you help someone kind of circle back or, or step back and look at it from the outside? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely a learning process. Like, I'd like to say that anytime I am hit with like something that's hard, I'm like, oh, don't worry. Like, I'll just turn to my perspective, right? right, right. I mean, you go through like all of the same emotions, like, you know, grief maybe or anger or sadness or any of those. Um, you know, I still feel all of those, but I now have a way out. And that has been really helpful for me. So if I'm, if, you know, I'm talking to someone about their strengths and uh, once they know what they are, like, you know, it takes a little while to really claim them, but it's helpful to just know what you're claiming. Um, And then, you know, it's a process. And once eventually, like, once you get comfortable with it, then you can turn to it yourself and you're like, oh, okay, like, what if I used hope in this situation or what if I used humor in this situation? Could that make it better? Um, And the research shows that when people are using their signature character strengths, they're 17 times more likely to flourish. Like it is like leads to well-being um, just across the board and everything that you're doing. Yeah. It makes me think of like, I feel like I've, now, like business is kind of the thing that, that gives me the most struggle, right? And I know I need to step back and look at it. And I almost feel like I've screwed up enough times now that it's kind of like, if I mess up again, it's like, yeah, all right, I've been there. I've done that. Okay, let's circle back and, and try to fix that problem. And maybe I can handle it better. It'd be interesting to add that, the character strength piece to that. Just to kind of, when you step back and you go, all right, look, you've done this before. You're going to get through it and we're going to move on but it might give you just a different filter or a different lens to approach that a different perspective. Maybe to look at it would be, would be kind of a, a cool uh, approach that would be interesting to try. So I'm definitely going to have to check that out. Yeah, definitely do. Um, it's great. And then the other part um, of mental toughness that I've found really useful is having a mental toughness practice. And so there's um, a practice that was created by, a sports psychologist, his name is Jason Selk, and he's worked with, you know, so many professional teams and elite athletes, and there's a book called 10 Minutes uh, Mental Toughness, and so that practice has been really helpful um, for me and for everyone I've I've taught it to, Um, and what's interesting about this practice is that it was created for athletes, but I use it in every aspect of my life. So if like I have to make a presentation or I have like a hard phone call I have to make, you know, those ones you're just like, Oh, you're just dreading it. You know, Um, you can turn to this mental toughness practice. I've used it when I've had to get medical procedures. um, And then I've also used it, you know, when I have like a really tough CrossFit workout and I'm nervous about it or, um, if I'm, you know, trying to work towards my bigger goals, I can turn to this practice. Um, and what's it's been an example, really... Like, what's an example of this practice, or, or what's a component of it? Well, there's several components, but um, it's made up of, like, strong statements about yourself, like, strong like, personal statements about your abilities and your strengths. And then there's a whole component of a high, highlight reel where you visualize... Um, past successes that you've had like in this particular area that you're um, you're trying to accomplish and then you also visualize yourself like doing the thing that you're about to do and in as much detail as possible and what's interesting is your brain doesn't know the difference between an actual experience and a visualized experience so you really all you're doing is telling your brain like yeah you can do this like you just did it because your brain doesn't know that it hasn't actually happened yet. Yeah, I've seen some of the visualization literature from even like downhill skiers. They can visualize the course, and through visualiz- visualization, 
they can actually see that the muscle, the right muscles activate with the right timing uh, of what that course looks like. So you can kind of go through that rehearsal. Uh, and I'm not as familiar with the research from a physical aspect, but, or a mental aspect, I should say, but I'm sure it's very similar. Yeah, it's amazing. It's been, so then when you like go into whatever you're doing, you already have built a little bit of confidence because you just did it. Right. And so you know it's possible. That's pretty cool. Is there, so some of the things that I've seen ha- involve mantras in, in different things. Do you do anything with mantras specifically? Well, this personal statement, and there's also a performance statement. Those are, those can be mantras that you use. Um, but I, I definitely think mantras are really useful, um, especially if you have one that really matters to you. Um, I think what I've learned most about working with people in the last you know several years is that I think sometimes um, when you are struggling to like accomplish something that you've set out to do um, a lot of times when you struggle, it's because you're not picking the right goal. Like you're picking one that you think you should do or you other people think you should do, but it's not necessarily like what you want to do. And what I've noticed is when people pick goals because they feel like they should or, um, they're told they should, it's really hard to stay on track with that. But when you pick something that truly matters to you, it's so much easier to um, get through like all the obstacles and ups and downs because it truly matters to you. So I I think that's like, that's something I've really picked up in the last few years. Yeah. I'm curious about that. So, you know, I think of the goals that that I see in, in physical therapy practice, you know, you want to get out of pain is one of those goals or from a exercise standpoint, maybe you want to get more fit, you want to lose weight, whatever. When you say you're picking the wrong goal, is it literally like, do you mean literally change that entirely or is there a component of that? It is just like change the focus of it. Like we talk all the time. Pain is pain, right? Everybody wants to be out of pain, but what does that mean to get out of pain? Let me shimmy the goal to that direction. And then all of a sudden maybe pain isn't, you know, even part of that. So for example, yeah, my back hurts, but really what it really means is I can't go play with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Or the goal shifts to what do I need to do to be able to play with my daughter? The pain stuff will take care of itself. Uh, so I know in goal setting, we do a lot of that. What, what are you referring to specifically? Well, I think that is exactly it, right? Like, I mean, you, it could be that like, let's say you have an athlete who wants to, who plays a high school sport or something like that and they're injured and like the goal that their coaches or their parents have is like to get them better so they can get back to that sport. Okay. Maybe they don't want to get back to that sport. Right. But they can't admit it or they don't even know that really for themselves. So the rehab is just going to go so much slower because they don't have that intrinsic motivation to get better. Um, and so I think those times of crisis in people's lives, like whether it's an injury or, I mean, there's so many different ways, it's actually a really good opportunity to take a step back and say, what do I actually want? Like, what can I learn from this moment of hardship that will, um, help me like either come back to the same thing. Maybe you're like, okay, what I've learned is when I'm not able to do this one thing because of an injury, like I miss it so much, I can barely breathe, right? Like it matters that much to me. And that's a really amazing thing to learn. So then you can use that to give everything you have to getting better and doing all the um, exercises in between appointments and making sure you're getting the rest that you need and all the things that it takes to get better. But if you're not doing those things and you just don't feel like you're motivated to do those things, it might be interesting to take a step back and say, what's holding me back? Like, why, why am I resistant to that? And once you sort of ask those questions, you um, can learn a lot and maybe, maybe learn something different, you know, say actually like what I've loved about this time, because I have extra time because I'm not able to do this one thing. I've really learned that I love doing this other thing. And maybe that's where I want to put my interest. So I think that's part of it. It's just, when you have something that like changes your day or changes your life in a particular way to really step back and say like, what am I learning from this? That's yeah, that's interesting. I, I, you know, I've been in spots like that, right. Where you're struggling with something and then you're evaluating it. You're like, well, do I even want to do this? 
And then my next step is, well, do I not want to do it? Or am I just being a wimp? And this is my easy out, right? Like I don't want to put in the work to get there. So now I'm trying to change my goal, but then I feel like I'm cheating. Yeah. But that's what I wonder about. Like if you, if you really wanted to do it, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't cheat. You wouldn't. No, because it matters that much to you. Now there's certain things you have to do, right? Like, I mean, just the way our life is set up, there's things like you, like, you know, have to earn a living or you have to make sure you have food and all of those things. So there's certain things that you do have to just like, like gut it up and get through. And that that's like a whole nother element of mental toughness. Um, but if there's, you know, if you do have choices, then it's useful to really understand, like, where do you want to put your time? Right. What do you, so for me, those things, a lot of times are like remedial tasks, like, uh, documentation. I hate taking notes. Uh, even like the numbers and stuff that you have to do for a business. I've listened to some of the stuff from, uh, Jocko. Jocko's got a book called extreme ownership. And basically he's like, you know, take ownership of doing those notes and doing the best you could possibly ever do them, you know, and, and kind of just looking, you have to do it, right. It's part of the game. What do you, what advice do you give for those things? You know, even if it's an athlete, like you tell them you have to do this exercise or you have to do lacrosse ball, you have to do wall ball for 20 minutes a day. They don't want to do that. They just want to play. Right. What advice do you give for those, those tests that are going to be beneficial for your end goal, but you just feel like you don't want to do them. Well, that's where the mental toughness practice really comes into play because when you you sort of have your idea of where you want to go, that's the first part you have to, you know, be able to set the goals that matter to you and also talk about the risks um, that happen. Like if you are working towards a goal and you know you always get hung up when someone distracts you, like your phone rings or um you get distracted by the TV or whatever it is. Like, you know, that's a risk to your success. And so if you can understand what those risks are, then you can mitigate them a little bit. I mean, you can't take all risk off the table, but if you know your phone is a huge distraction, well then turn it off when you're doing that particular task. But then also the the mental toughness practice um, just helps you like visualize like where you're going and what matters to you. So if you can always have that sort of ultimate goal in your mind, then those like smaller tasks, like are leading to something that really matters to you. And that can keep you um, more motivated. I know that's been really useful for me because, you know, I have this, these big plans for my life to be able to live long enough to, um, you know, see my son graduate and hold my own grandchildren. And it's going to take a lot of work to get there. I mean, so many daily treatments and, I need to, you know, exercise every day so that I can keep my lungs healthy. And there's like days when I feel awful and I don't want to do it, but I know where, why I'm doing it. And it matters to me more than anything. And so if I can continually turn to that ultimate goal, then it makes those tasks um, just less painful because I know it's leading somewhere and, and that keeps me motivated. Do you have, do you have drills or something that you do to practice that? Like I'm thinking of this, uh, there's, there's a speech, it was a graduation speech and I forget, he was a member of the service and he was talking about making his bed and it went viral on YouTube and stuff. And yeah. basically like, you don't make your bed because it makes sense. You make your bed because you're winning that first step of the day or, yeah. or waking up to your alarm first thing in the morning. Like you make that decision if you want to hit the snooze button or you want to just get up that morning and, and that's your first victory of the day. Do you recommend any drills or things to kind of help people practice or is it more just rationalizing it? Yeah. I mean, I've read those things too and I'm someone who never makes my bed. So I'm sort of like, "Hmm." (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, I do see the importance of it and it's really helpful to have little wins along the way. And so maybe you pick something that matters more to you as your, your win, I guess like for me, my win every day is taking my medication, right? Like, cause that is what keeps me going. But for others, you know, a win might be something totally different, like connecting with someone else or, um, you know, like checking off like at least one box on your to-do list. Um, so I think there's a lot. I think little wins along the way absolutely keep you motivated. 
Um, but this, I think, I think it's just the word of like the knowledge of where you're, why you're going, where you're going and why you want it, why it matters to you and what you have, what are you, you have already that you can claim to help you get there. And it's different for every person. So I think one of the interesting things about um, these, these character strengths is they, so this comes out of University of Pennsylvania and there's a Penn resiliency training program that they do um, with all sorts of organizations, but one of them is the US Army. And so they had everyone who, all the new cadets uh, take this, this survey, this character survey. And what was what they, was fascinating is if you were going to guess like what would be the character strength that would be most common among uh, cadets in the army if you're just going to guess some kind of pride or yeah or like or something like that or something like that right what's that bravery or something like that okay so the number one um, character strength among cadets is actually love and which is fascinating but it makes sense because you cannot be a good cadet if you don't like love your other cadets because you wouldn't be willing to die for them and so i think it's just fascinating to learn those because you the ones that you can claim you might not understand exactly in the moment how you can turn to them but you can get creative to think about okay like if love is one of my character strengths how can i use love to help me accomplish this goal well, I love my family so much and it matters that I can um, accomplish this goal because it means that I can provide a better life. Or if, you know, I'm injured, it means like I can play with my daughter and to turn to love if, is like, you wouldn't necessarily think to turn to that to accomplish a goal, but it's amazing how these, um, these strengths can help you um, get to where you want to go. Yeah, that example makes perfect sense to me. And again, it's that that lens of taking on that perspective. And that mental flip, like I've experienced it myself, where you're just like in a bad mood about something, and then you just, just change the way you're thinking about it, and all of a sudden you're like motivated again. Yeah. This task out. Um, I, I, why isn't... Why do you think... Changing gears a little bit here, I guess. Why do you think this idea of mental toughness... I think it's starting to happen, but why do you think it's not in the public? Why is it not part of mainstream education or, or coaching? You know, the mental side of the game, especially as I get older, I feel like is more important than anything because if you're not mentally disciplined, the physical, like you don't get stronger because you skip workouts or you quit or whatever. Why do you think we're not seeing more of that? Or, or maybe we are now and I'm just, I mean, it's definitely a growing field. I think you're starting to see mental toughness coaches or mental performance coaches or sports psychologists at a lot of professional teams. And I'm actually a mental toughness coach for a high school football team at university school. And um, it, I just, I feel so lucky to have that opportunity to, to be on that staff. And um, I think it's been really helpful um, to, for the players, but also the coaches to really understand the mental side. I think it's just, honestly, like when you're trying, let's like just take high school sports or any sports, like there's just so many things you have to do to get better. Um, you know, like there's, there's strength, there's speed, there's agility, there's skill, um, all of those things. And then there's like game strategy. So I think for a lot of coaches, it's like, there's no time, right? Like we can barely get through what we need to do. Um, but what I learned as a high school coach is like, it's the most valuable thing I could have done, right? It took like five minutes a day. It wasn't, didn't even actually take that long to do this practice. And it made like a bigger difference than like spending five minutes, like running sprints or whatever. Um, so I, I think it's really just, um, that it's not out there as much that it's, it's like not what you're taught, um, right away. If you want to get a good sport, like you do the reps and do 10,000 hours. But really, if you put in those 10,000 hours to the mental work. So what's also interesting is one minute of visualization is equal to seven minutes of physical practice. So if you visualize yourself doing something 
um, it's like as useful as seven minutes of doing that same thing. So it actually is like so useful and it's, it's simple. And I'm, I'm hoping it will take off um, even more as people discover it. Yeah, I think you're seeing more mainstream athletes do it as well. Like you're hearing that stuff now. And yeah. Maybe it is like a, you know, everybody wants to be that clutch athlete. So to talk about the fact that, that you're struggling with the mental side of the game, maybe that, that's why you don't see it as much. Um, yeah, I think the other thing that I've also discovered is like vulnerability is a path to mental toughness. Um, and it's hard to be vulnerable, but it is like where you start because you can't really understand where you're going unless you really dig deep to find out like, like what you want and what's holding you back. And once you can sort of really like talk about those things or understand those things for yourself, then there's a path forward. But until you do that, it's hard to make progress and it's hard to be vulnerable. So how do you get a high school football player into that mindset? Because well, I can imagine that's got to be a challenge. I have an amazing head coach and he is all in. And so, and they will follow him to the ends of the earth. So that was really helpful. Um, but I think, I don't know. I mean, like football players are people, right? Like they're not different. They just have a passion for a game. You have to be really tough to play. But um, I think they were glad to have something to turn to um, and they didn't have to sort of pretend that they never were worried on the sidelines or in the game. That's interesting. It almost gives them, uh, you don't have a, you don't have anxiety about being worried, right? Because, Oh, this is normal. We've, we've been here before we've played. Yeah. We have a plan. We have something to turn to. Yeah. And it's not foolproof. I'm not saying like you do this mental toughness practice and like you never have anxiety again. Right. That's, no. that's not, like, but you do have something to turn to in the moment. And that has been really helpful. So are they implementing it as part of like a daily practice? Is it check-ins? What, what are you guys doing specifically? Yeah. So um, I'm not a hundred percent sure what they did this year because, you know, I, I couldn't really be <laughs> with the team, which was sad, but I'm More hoping. Zooming, zooming uh, mental toughness sessions. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it just last year was so crazy. I mean, the fact that they even had football was kind of a miracle. And um, I think coaches were just like trying to get their team on the field. Um, but the year before, yeah, we would do the mental toughness practice before every practice and every game. And then on Saturdays or the day after a game. So if you played Friday, it was Saturday. If you played on Saturday, then we did it on Monday. Um, we would, we had like a notebook and, the boys would talk about like what went well this week. What do they want to, what's their intention for the upcoming week? Like what was getting in their way and just have a sense, just like a timeout to say like, okay, like here's where we are. I feel really good about this. I want to continue to do this, but in this part of my game, like I know I need to dig a little deeper. And once you could say that, then the coaches could help. Right. Cause I understood like where, the players were confused or where they felt like they needed more guidance. So it was, it was really helpful to the coaches as well to have a, just a better sense of, of where their players were and what they, what they needed to focus on that week. Yeah. I mean, having an idea of what your players are thinking and where their headspace is at, that's tough to communicate for, for a lot of people. But if you had this process in place, here it is right in front of you, everybody's doing it. You, you can obviously see the advantage of that setup. Yeah. And like, I would look through like their notebooks and then report back to the coaches to be like, okay, so like many people on the offensive line, like are struggling with this particular, um, like play. And so they were like, Oh, okay. Like that's good to know. Whereas they might not have known that otherwise. Not yeah. How do we, so, you know, obviously you got the high school athlete approach to that. But as an adult, you got the same problems, right? You got 10,000 things you need to do. You're taking care of your family. You got to go to work. You got to, you know, this and that. How do we implement that or transition that to the adult world? Yeah, well, it's the same thing. I mean, instead of like maybe trying to win a state championship, like you're trying to get a promotion at work or, um, you know, you can have athletic goals as well. Like you're trying to 
run a 5k or trying to, um, you know, get a PR in CrossFit or whatever it is. And so it's sort of the same process, like figuring out what you want and then finding out in yourself, like what you can use to help accomplish those goals. And then you can have the same exact practice. So you can have your mental toughness practice that you do before you go to sleep at night or when you wake up or right before you're doing whatever um, thing that you're you know, hoping to do well at. And then you can have that same journal where you talk about this went really well today. Um, this didn't go as well, but I'm going to set my intention for tomorrow. Like this is my focus. Um, and it can be really simplistic. It doesn't have to be like pages of journaling and just like a couple notes, like, here's the priorities for tomorrow. Um, and the other thing I think that's been really useful or I know is, it's useful is to write down um, just moments of gratitude each day. And that can help so much with well-being and, and mental toughness. Cause I think when life is stressful, you sort of get this like idea that like everything is hard. Right. And, but actually there's all these moments of, of joy and, grace in every day and so to really claim those um, and write them down is is a really really helpful practice so I did that all this year um, when I was you know in quarantine and it was actually amazing how easy it was like I would think that it would be so hard because I like never saw anyone and I didn't go anywhere but every day I had things that I was so grateful for and you know, some of it, it was like simple, like I have a house, like that's pretty amazing. Or the sun was out today, or I talked to this one friend, or uh, my lungs felt good today. And once I wrote those down, I just felt like I was surrounded by all this good. And then at the end of the year, I actually put all of them into a word cloud, like all the things that I wrote down. And so then I had this amazing visual of like all the good um, in my life. And um, yeah, I like sort of treasure that image. It's something I can go back to if I'm having a hard day. Say like, yes, like this is hard. I'm not like in denial about how hard it is, but I do have I do have amazing resources to turn to. I have wonderful people in my life. I have things that matter to me, um, and that's just been really useful. That's a really cool idea. I, I love I love the visual aspect of that too, with the word cloud and just having something to look at and reference, um, and it's personalized. So, you know, you think of like I think back to like high school weight rooms and you got all those sayings on the walls or the PT clinics got motivational quotes. What a what a positive image that would be to be able to reference to. Um, yeah. And and I know personally, you get so wrapped up in your goals, like I want to accomplish this, I want to do this, I want to do that, that you never take a second to go. Well, wait, you know. I know I know I haven't accomplished X Y Z, but there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff happening along the way. And, um, I struggle with that personally. Like I've never stepped back and go, all right, yeah, because I'm always hard on myself. There's always this next step that you got to do. Um, I don't often spend the time to go. Things are all right, you know. We're not. Yeah, in the yeah. I think of the world, we're doing okay. You know. Yeah, it's been it's been a really useful practice for me and it's always it's a way to turn towards hope um i had this uh, a doctor when i was a kid and she talked about how um when you're dealing with chronic illness or dealing with cf like you can be in a place of denial where you're just sort of like i'm fine like and you know that's not helpful at all um but it feels helpful in the moment because you can sort of like pretend it's not happening and i think this is like happens to everyone, right? If there's something that's not going well or is hard, it's really easy to turn to denial. And then the other place that you could go is despair, to feel like I'll never be able to do this or everything is against me or, you know, just feeling that just place of, of like despair. But in the middle of those two is hope. And that has been really helpful for my life to just choose hope over and over again, to recognize what's true. Like, so not to be in denial about the hardships of it. Um, but also not to feel like there's no way forward. And any, anytime you can turn to the hope in the situation, like that's your path forward. What a strong skill, like to be able to do that. I mean, 
I know a lot of people, and we talk about despair, and I know a lot of people, myself included, when you face a challenge or, or something happens that you don't expect, it's really easy to like steamroll it or snowball it. You know, yeah. this happened. And so now that's going to happen. Now that's going to happen. Now that's going to happen. And, you know, before this whole thing's over, you know, you're at the, you know, there's nothing, there's nowhere else to go kind of a thing. How do you, like, is there a strategy to stop that? I mean, I, I love what you just said there about hope, but it's so easy to, to kind of do that thing where you one path to the next. What do you, what do you tell people? Yeah. So this is like very common. So there's these um, thinking traps that your brain takes you down. And the one you were describing is like catastrophizing. So like one thing happens, like small things happens. And all of a sudden, like your brain takes you to like, you're going to be living on the streets, you know, (laughs) it's just like insane. You're like, wait, no, it just meant I ran out of gas. Like, (laughs) But your brain like takes you there and you can't, um, if you don't recognize that thinking trap, like you'll, you'll go with it. You're like, okay, here I am. Like I'm about to live on the streets. So once you recognize that you're catastrophizing the situation, then you can say, you can stop it in real time and you can say, well, that's not true because, and give like a really concrete example of like, okay, yes, this went wrong, but like, it's not going to lead to all of these things because that's not true. This has happened before and it actually worked out totally fine. Um, so just like to stop your thinking in its tracks. And then the other thing to do, you can do is if you sort of anticipate, sometimes you know when things might not quite go well, um, or there's like, you know, like just like a, a stupid example is like if you get like really anxious about like getting to the airport on time, right, and missing your flight. And then if you miss your flight, like you won't get the connecting flight and then you'll miss this thing that's really important to you. And like, so you can go on all these you know, um, different paths, but like you can have contingency plans in place. You can say like, well, like if there's a lot of traffic around this time, like I'll leave earlier. Or like if you can even like, if you want to like look at, okay, well, like if I miss this flight, there's another one in an hour. So like, it's going to be okay. (laughs) Like I'll, you know, so just, you can sort of have these contingency plans in place. Like if X happens, then I will Y and it can, you can have it ahead of time. So that if you get to those like, you know, places of hardship, you already have a plan. And so then you don't catastrophize in the same way because you know what to do. Yeah. Kind of a a backup for the backup plan, so to speak. That's Yeah. yeah. I feel like the hardest one, like for me, when, when you kind of get in that path, the hardest times to stop it or when, you feel like you don't know the answer to why something might've happened or, or um, you can't rationalize it because there's just no way to know the answer. And that creates the problem. But you know, you, you just got to reflect back to previous experiences and times things maybe similar have happened, but th- those are the hard ones is maybe there isn't an answer to understand why X happened. Um, and then how do you keep yourself from steamrolling that? I, I've never tried the backup strategy, but, yeah, I mean, I think, like, sure, like, there's things that, like, you can't say, you know, the exact answer why, but you can say, like, well, like, you can't, like, the worst case scenario, like, you can usually say, well, that's not true, because, like, right. I, like, can call someone, or um, I have, like, an extra $20 in my wallet, or whatever it is, like, there's just ways in which there is usually is a way forward in some ways. And, and then if there's not like, then that's where you turn to hope to say, okay, like, I don't know how this is going to work out, but like, it's something's going to happen. Like I'm going to learn something from this or um, I will, you know, figure my way through it because I've dealt with really hard things in the past and it wasn't easy and it was awful and I hated every second, but I did it like, and it, it did work out in this particular way, not maybe the way I wanted it to, but something came out of it. Like you learned something or you found a different door to open that you didn't even know existed. Um, And I think like the example in my life is I was so devastated about having to retire from coaching, but it led me to this path of mental toughness, which has been so extraordinarily useful for me. And so, you know, I'm going to hit another hardship and I'm going to say, okay, well, what's going to come from this? Like maybe something even better that I, I didn't even know to, to dream about. 
Yeah. It, it sets you up for, for new opportunities. And I love the, did you, what did you learn from it kind of approach? And, and that's what I try to do as best I can. Like <clears throat> maybe you didn't, something didn't happen the way you want, but you learned a lot along the way, wasted some time maybe, and, and maybe some money and whatever, but yeah, there's lessons to be learned and, and hopefully you don't make those same mistakes twice or uh, you can do it better the next time. And, I have examples of that time and time again with, with business, especially, but you know, yeah. relationships and life and everything else there, there's those stories. So, But I just, it's not that you won't grieve it or that it won't be hard or you won't be frustrated. Or you won't be mad. Like mental toughness doesn't erase those feelings. It just helps you have something to turn to, to give you a path forward. And that's why it's been, I think so useful for me. So it's not, it's not a tool for denial, right? but it's a tool for hope in those moments of despair. Right. Almost accept the fact that that's going to happen. Kind of a, is how yeah. I like those, those emotions and those, that reality is, is expected. It's going to happen. We, we want it to, but how do we handle it? Uh, that's, I mean, that's great stuff. That's, that's awesome. What <clears throat> I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, like, have you used any of this in the CF community? Like, are you- yeah, a little bit. I've, there's a international wellness platform, for people with CF, um, it's called Beam, and they have all sorts of exercise programs. It's actually pretty amazing because I've worked out with people with CF from the UK and from Australia and from all over the United States this past year, um, and it's just been amazing to meet people around the world. Um, so I did a couple uh, mental toughness workshops through Beam, um, and then I've, I've worked with some people with CF too on their own mental toughness. And um, I actually learned so, I, you know, being a mental toughness coach has just um, given me so much toughness because I learn how other people deal with their hardships. And I, I always learn something from talking to someone else that has, that I've been able to apply in my own life as well. And the CF community, I mean, the amount of mental toughness in that community is like astounding. Um, so many times, you know, we've had to sort of dig deep and move forward in really hard circumstances. Um, but there's been wins along the way as well. And there was a, actually a drug that was approved by the FDA in November of 2019. And this drug um, fixes the basic defect in the cells of the lungs of um, many people in the CF population. So I started that drug in um, November and of 2019, and it's actually like made such a difference. I mean, I remember that was game changer stuff. And very quickly, like okay. within even a couple weeks. And that was sort of like the hope that we, my doctor who diagnosed me and talked about in 1982, that like there is research coming. Um, and so just, you know, living long enough to benefit from that drug is sort of, it's all come full circle in a way. Um, and it doesn't mean I don't have CF, like I still have all the treatments and I still obviously have to be super careful, especially now in COVID and, you know, we just, we don't know what the future will bring, but, um, it, it's really taught me a lot about hope and that like, it's worth it. It's worth it to just keep grinding because like something will happen and it may not be what you expected, but it will be something that is, is beautiful and amazing. And you just gotta like keep moving forward for that moment. Cause it will happen. That's awesome. That's awesome. I feel like that's a great place to wrap up. Um, I, I miss. Hopefully, we get to get together here again soon. And yes, I know. Well, once I get my second vaccine and wait a couple of weeks after that, um, and maybe able to venture out just a little bit more. So I, I definitely miss coming to to PT. I um, just am in so much more pain than I was, and it's just it's it's really I miss it every day. From the physical therapy side, it's always been interesting to see how well you respond to, to some of the things. And even we, I remember when you were doing the trials, we were doing like rib mobilizations or your pulmonary function tests. We've seen cool stuff and changes. And, uh, yeah, I learned a lot along the way there too. But hopefully soon enough. And thank goodness for Zoom because uh, people probably don't know this, but I, I've learned it from you. People at CF aren't actually allowed near each other. So you can't even, like unrelated to COVID. Yeah. 
Yeah, so that's um, people with CF have different bacteria in their lungs. And so if we're in the same room, we can potentially give bacteria to each other and then become sicker. So people with CF have been socially distancing for a really long time. We're like experts at it. And um, so it, it poses this really tough challenge that the people who most understand your life um, are dangerous to your health. So we've been using uh, Zoom and other video platforms to communicate for years. Um, I actually helped start an international virtual conference for people with CF. Um, that was We started it five years ago with two of my really good friends with CF who I've actually never met in person, but I talk to every single day. I consider them like some of my dearest and closest friends. And I don't, we, maybe someday we'll be able to meet like in masks and far away. One lives in Utah and one lives in Louisiana. So, um, but I've learned over time that you can create really, really meaningful friendships, even through video conferencing and, and Zoom and, so that's been, it's a sort of like business as usual in a sense for me this year, because I'm so used to having um, lots of connection through virtual platforms. <clears throat> yeah, you've, you've been preparing for it in many ways. Yes, like I've been training my whole life for this. Right. Flu season is, is basically, normal flu season is what we're all doing for you now, right? Yeah, exactly. I, you- but I will be so glad to, you know, be able to see people in person again. I do think physical presence matters. It really does. But I'm grateful that I already knew going into this time that you can make really meaningful friendships um, through virtual platforms. That was that was a good lesson to already have going into this year. Yeah. Yeah. The rest of us have been trying to learn on the fly. Yeah. So as we wrap up, um, where can people find out more if they want to do something with your mental toughness? And then also, I know you do a lot of work with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Um, where can people find more about that? Yeah, so I mean, my Instagram is um, at Brave Like You, and the U is just the letter U, not Y-O-U. So that's the name of my mental toughness um, coaching business because, um, like I said, I've learned so much from other people and I want to be brave just like they are as um, they're, you know, trying to accomplish their, their goals and overcome their obstacles. So that's why, you know, I thought brave like you is perfect because that's what, that's what I want to be. I want to be brave like all the people that I come into contact with. Um, so that's my Instagram. And then the, then I can be reached through that. And then the CF foundation, um, it's such an amazing foundation. I'm so grateful for it. It's actually the reason I'm alive today. They've funded so many important research projects and um, we're not done. Like, like Trek after the drug I just started has made a huge difference, but we have more to do. And, and our ultimate goal is to find the cure for every person with CF. So um, their website is cff.org. And there's a, a lot of amazing information about the foundation on that website. And um, I, it's, it's an organization, like it's a winner. Like we are going to accomplish this goal and anyone who's a part of it over, you know, sort of even the last like decades, right. Anyone who's like been to an event or donated, like they will be part of that team that is going to cure this disease. And I feel so blessed because I really like, I'm alive today because of the generosity of others. And it's a pretty amazing way to move through life. Um, knowing that you have all these people who are behind you and, and helping, helping you live your best life. Yeah. You can see real quick where the mental toughness side of, of your, your mindset comes from. Um, <laughs> you guys always have cool events. Like we used to do the stuff at the gym there, but yeah, yes. my favorite one these days is called, um, it's called Rose Up. Um, because, uh, when kids are little, they can't say um, cystic fibrosis, so they say 65 roses. So the rose has become like our symbol, but this idea of uh, rose up, and that's uh, an event that will happen in September. And what's amazing about it is it's, it's a virtual event. So you can do whatever you want uh, to rose up 
um, for CF and, and information about Rose Up will be on the foundation website in the next coming months. But like, for example, you could um, go fishing to Rose Up for, yeah, so you can do whatever you're passionate about. And Does that mean I have to catch 65 fish? You can, that would be an amazing goal. <laughs> Over time, you could. Do you think you could catch 65 in the season? Nowadays, probably not. Well, now you have something to work towards, right? There, there's my new goal. Yeah, exactly. My wife will not agree with that goal. Oh, I don't know. She can, she can come up with her own way to rose up. Right. And then she can, she can be like, sorry, I got to go do this to rose up. Right, right, right. We can use, we can use that excuse both ways. Exactly. Yeah, there's probably a time where I got out enough to do that. I don't know. I don't know anymore. Maybe. Maybe. Well, think about it. Make it a priority. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, Casey. Well, this was a lot of fun. Um, We'll we'll be in touch again soon, hopefully in person. But uh, if not, we'll we'll stay in touch this way. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was so much fun to talk to you. For sure. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for enjoying the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. Hope you're able to pick up a few things to help you live and move better. We'd really appreciate a like, share, review, or follow in order to help us continue to grow this podcast and help more people like you looking to feel and move better as active adults. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.